MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, September 16th, 2021. Today, Gavin Newsom wins the California recall election in a landslide. The U.S. Capitol Police have asked the Department of Defense for National Guard support should the need arise on September 18th. A new analysis estimates a $5.7 billion price tag for treating the unvaccinated. The Justice Department asks for a temporary restraining order in the Texas abortion case. A federal judge has denied Trump's request to stop the E. Jean Carroll case. And the FBI fires the lead agent on the Larry Nassar case as four survivors testify to Congress. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Big news day. Big news day, Dana. Big, huge. Um, some heavy stuff, some not so heavy stuff, more heavy stuff, but a lot, a lot of stuff. Yeah, I started my my day watching, you know, over here on the West Coast, I'm uh, three hours behind what's going on on the East Coast, but in the morning, tuned into the testimony. I did. Given by the four incredible survivors to the Judiciary Committee. Did you, did you happen to watch any of it? I did. I watched Michaela's testimony. I watched a bit of Simone's testimony. I watched some questioning of Ray, as well as uh, what is the other uh, and the other guy that was there. Oh, oh, you're talking about uh, Inspector General Horowitz. Thank you. Yeah. Gosh, sometimes, man, so many names. Yeah. So I watched a bit of it. It was heavy and infuriating. But I will say the one thing I realized is that man, if there is anything that can finally bring the Senate together, where it's not a political shit show of dramatics, at least it's this. Yeah. And um, the absolute bravery, stunning bravery, stunning level levels of bravery from those athletes. And absolutely. You know, I was especially hit hard by when they were talking about the safe sport place where you're supposed to be able to report these things and how they they didn't have any support there. They didn't feel that everyone was just sort of passing the buck and Mm -hmm. they couldn't just trying to report it. And that's, you know, absolutely unacceptable, unacceptable. And Michaela said it. What's the point of reporting this if the people that are supposed to protect us didn't do their job? Yeah. If just one adult would have done something. Yep. Yeah. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're also going to talk about later on the show, I'm going to be discussing with Colonel Vindman, his thoughts on General Mark Milley and the reporting from the forthcoming Woodward book. As you may or may not know, Colonel Vindman tweeted out a tweet calling for the resignation of Milley for circumventing, you know, civilian oversight of the military. And, you know, I had retweeted him and I said, I, I concur here. If this reporting is true, then this is a, this is a problem. And a lot of listeners had questions and I was able to ask Colonel Vindman a lot of those questions. So he'll be we'll be discussing that later in the show. And the U.S. Capitol Police, there's not much to this story. So we'll just say it now. They're asking for the Department of Defense to make sure that the National Guard is available if needed for September the 18th. That's the the rally at the Capitol, the, you know, the stop the steal thing at the Capitol is supposed to happen September 18th. So that's happening. And recall, recall news. Such good news. Such good news. Yep. And as it stands, there's 71 percent reporting. What was my prediction? I think you said right at about 64 percent. I did. And the recall right now is 63.9 percent for no. Now, I think that'll shrink a little bit 
as more votes come in. Sure. So I might have, I might have overshot. But not by much, not by but much. Today I feel good. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and not just, you know, obviously for guessing 64%, but just for the overwhelming numbers of people who voted no on this recall. Now we need to start looking at fucking, we have a Democratic supermajority. Let's change these stupid recall laws. This is dumb. It was a waste of money. It was a waste of time. Yeah. So I think we should look at that too. All right. We've got a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. Lots of stories buying for the lead story today. So I'm going to go with the news regarding our friend, the fierce warrior, E. Jean Carroll. From Adam Klasfeld at Law and Crime, some months after Attorney General Merrick Garland's Department of Justice signaled it would back former President Donald Trump in a lawsuit filed by E. Jean Carroll, a federal judge refused today to let that development prevent the litigation from proceeding in his courtroom. U.S. District Judge Lewis Kaplan denied Trump's request for a stay of all proceedings, and he denied it without comment. He just said nope and then said bye-bye. Yeah, minute order. Nah. Carol claims that Donald defamed her by falsely denying that he raped her in the dressing room of a department store, Bergdorf Goodman, in the 90s. But for roughly a year, proceeding have revolved less around her allegations than whether the case caption should even be Carol v. Trump. Right. Right. Because last year, Judge Kaplan rejected an effort by Barr to make itself the defendant in the case, a move to transform the case into Carol v. the United States. More significantly, the substitution raised the specter of scuttling the famed columnist's lawsuit entirely, making it unlikely to survive federal court jurisdiction. Trump appealed the denial of substitution to the Second Circuit, where the former president found strange bedfellows with Garland's Justice Department. Two Justice Department administrators disagreed with that proposition, and the appeal on the matter continues to be pending before the Second Circuit. Now, despite the plea for immediate relief, Some nine months would pass before Judge Kaplan would rule. And when he did, there would be no explanation as to his reasoning. Just nope. Quote, we're looking forward to oral argument in our case before the Second Circuit during the week of November 29th. In the meantime, we're reviewing Judge Kaplan's order. That's Roberta Kaplan, who said that in a statement to Law and Crime. So we'll stay on top of this story for you as the case continues. It still needs to be decided whether or not Garland's Department of Justice can step in as the defendant here, the United, making the United States the defendant. Yeah. Thank you so much, AG. Now, just a a content warning on this next story. There is content warning for sexual assault. So please, if you want to skip this one, you can, but it is also a very important story. An FBI agent accused of failing to properly investigate USA Gymnastics, Dr. Larry Nassar, has been fired by the agency. And this is reporting from NBC News. The firing of the agent, Michael Langman, came after a Justice Department Inspector General report, leased in July, criticized him and his boss, agent in charge Jay Abbott, for their handling of the case. Now, it said they failed to respond to allegations by gymnasts that had been sexually abused by Nassar. And this is a quote, with the urgency that the allegations required. Langman was a supervising special agent in the FBI's Indianapolis field office when he interviewed Olympic medalist Michaela Maroney. And I was talking about this at the top of the hour. And that interview happened in 2015. That was about her allegations of abuse by Nassar. The inspector general's report said that he and Abbott lied. This is what the report said. They lied to investigators from the inspector general's office about their actions and that they never officially opened an investigation. So when the report was released this summer, Langman was no longer acting as an FBI agent, federal law enforcement sources told. 
But an agent cannot be fired while an inspector general investigation is pending, and the probe lasted three years. Abbott retired several years ago, which is really interesting. Supposedly before the findings came out. Well, I'm sure he knew what the findings were going to find. The firing of Langman. This was first reported by the Washington Post. So sitting in a witness table alongside three of her former gymnastics teammates, Simone Biles broke down in tears while explaining to a Senate committee that she doesn't want any more young people to experience the kind of suffering she endured at the hands of Larry Nassar. And he, as we know, is the former national team doctor. This was a quote, to be clear, I blame Larry Nassar, but I also blame an entire system that enabled and perpetrated his abuse. This is from Simone Biles. She's only 24 still. And this was Wednesday as her mother, Nellie Biles, sat nearby and she was visibly shaken. She was dabbing her eyes with a tissue. It was a very powerful testimony. It was. Biles, hundreds of other girls, 200 of other girls and women, including a majority of the members of the 2012 and 2016 U.S. Olympic women's gymnastics teams, were molested by Nassar, who is now serving what amounts to life in prison for multiple sexual crimes. His serial molestation is at the center of one of the biggest child abuse cases in American history. And I wouldn't just say cases, I would say scandals. This is massive and it's very widespread. Now, A.G., I know you had a back and forth with Asha Rangappa this morning. Was it about the potential of a criminal investigation into the FBI agents, right? Right. Yeah, because I was wondering when the DOJ declined to open a criminal investigation for these agents, the FBI agents lying and their bad conduct. And I was also wondering why Lisa Monaco failed to appear on behalf of the Department of Justice today regarding the case. She was asked to come. She declined to come. And I wondered if it was maybe because there is a ongoing criminal investigation or one is being considered and she wouldn't be able to say anything. Right. Now, Asha clarified the Department of Justice declined to prosecute this in September of 2020. She said, quote, the issue would be the same as Bill Cosby if, say, the SSA was told he won't be prosecuted. That's the agent. If the special agent was told he wouldn't be prosecuted for particular conduct, like falsifying the 302, and then gave interviews about it to the OIG. It's going to be very hard to prosecute him for it, even if it's a new Department of Justice. Right. Like you can't tell somebody you're off the hook, falsify, you know, the FBI agent says you're off the hook, you falsify whatever, and then they're told they're off the hook, and then you try to come back. But then Asha goes on and says, I can't tell if Abbott sat down with the OIG after the Department of Justice said they declined to prosecute. I think he didn't. So if not, he could potentially still be prosecuted without the 5A complication. So we simply don't know the timing here. We don't know why the Department of Justice was absent during questioning today or if a new clean investigation is being considered or has been opened into Abbott. We don't know. I do think they should tell them because Michaela brought it up in her testimony. She noticed that Lisa was visibly absent from the, the room. Yeah, she was very upset about it. And and as was I. And, you know, I asked on Twitter, why wasn't she there? And people were yeah. like, well, maybe this, maybe that. And I'm like, I, I'm not saying like, why wasn't she there? Like pissed. I'm like genuinely asking why. Yeah, why? <laughs> why she wasn't there. Maybe it's part of, you know, there's an ongoing investigation. But to not put in a statement and to not, not show up at all, that I don't know. I and. I really want to get the other side of this story because that feels like an abandonment of a system that continued to perpetuate this abuse. Absolutely. And that's where I think they need to have survivor advocates in these scenarios advising folks on what to do, because there might be a totally legitimate reason for her not to be there. But the appearance 
can be re-traumatizing. And the lack of support from the Department of Justice can really sink you deeper. Now, in other Department of Justice news, we know they have sued Texas over the abortion law. And Andrew Torres and I broke that filing down in yesterday's cleanup on aisle 45, if you want to listen to the detailed breakdown of that. And now, in addition to that lawsuit, Dana, the Department of Justice has asked a federal judge to issue a temporary restraining order to block the enforcement of the abortion law while it's being litigated. Quote, the United States has the authority to seek redress from this court against the state of Texas, particularly in light of the procedural obstacles that Texas erected to shield SB 8 from judicial scrutiny in suits by directly affected persons. This is uh, what the government lawyers are arguing in, in briefs that were filed late Tuesday. They said the law has gravely and irreparably impaired women's ability to exercise their constitutional right to an abortion across the state. Vance and Lawrence Tribe, Joyce Vance, have called this a bulletproof ask for this restraining order. The legal brief comes after the Biden administration filed suit against the state, asserting that the law was passed in open defiance of the Constitution. And now government lawyers are seeking to halt the law, as I said, while a challenge plays out, while it's litigated. This request could move quickly through the courts, ultimately landing at the Supreme Court and could determine whether clinics in the state can once again perform abortions after six weeks as both sides prevent their legal arguments over the coming months. It comes as the Supreme Court is also set to take up a case concerning a Mississippi 15-week ban that serves as a direct challenge to Roe sometime in the late fall or early winter. Oh, I hope that it happens. I hope that they are granted that uh, as we figure this out. Finally, final story in this segment, AG, you had asked a while ago what the fiscal cost, remember this, of the unvaccinated would be? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, a new analysis published Tuesday estimated that preventable costs for treating hospitalized, unvaccinated, unvaccinated COVID-19 patients reached $5.7 billion with a B over just the last three months. Yeah. The most recent data takes into account the surge in hospitalization seen in August, uh, which studies basically authors estimate account for about $3.7 billion of preventable spending alone. The data analysis from the Kaiser Family Foundation found using data from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, as well as some studies on healthcare costs, that each preventable COVID-19 hospitalization cost about $20,000. Now, according to the KFF's analysis of data from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the U.S. saw 287,000 preventable COVID-19 hospitalizations from just June to August. That number's um, unbelievable. The study authors use basically preventable, in quotes, hospitalizations to refer to hospitalizations of unvaccinated adults for COVID-19 treatment primarily. They did account for any post-vaccination infections that would have been expected, let's say, if the population had been vaccinated. So they took those into account. Now, these numbers together yield a total of what I said, the $5.7 billion spent on preventable hospitalizations over just those three months. And the study authors said this number is likely a conservative estimate of costs. And I'm, I'm sure it is. $5.7 billion in three months. Ah, the party of fiscal conservatism. Right. It's just, bull- it's just all bullshit. Uh, I get so frustrated because the recall, the recall too, almost $300 million. The election was over in 38 minutes. They basically called it after polls closed in 38 minutes or something like that at almost $300 million. Yeah, I feel like, well, first of all, I think the recall laws need to be changed. For sure. I think it's part of the Constitution, some from, from like 1911. But second of all, like, why 
even if there are these recall, if we don't change the recall laws, like I feel like the challengers should have to pay the bill, <laughs> you know, a hundred percent. There should be a run. They do that when they want to recount. You've got to foot the bill up on a recount if it's over, you know, past the whatever percentage where it's an automatic recount on an election. They should absolutely have to repay this money. Yeah, they should. Anyway, they don't have it. But yeah, they should. All right. Anyway, yesterday we got shocking reports, as we know, from the Woodward book Peril about General Milley and his pushback against Donald. And our next guest called for Milley's resignation if the reporting in the book is true. But there's some questions about that. And we'll be right back with Colonel Alexander Vinman to answer those questions right after this. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG for the beans. My favorite food as a kid growing up was always cereal, but I had to give it up as an adult because of all the sugar and carbs and chemicals. So I'm, you know, trying to avoid those. But thankfully, there is Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon tastes like the cereal of yesteryear but it isn't loaded with fat, sugar, and chemicals. Magic Spoon has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, four net grams of carbs, and only 140 calories per serving. It is keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb, and it tastes amazing. Uh, Put it in a big, giant bowl of milk and eat it and then drink the milk after, or eat it as a dry snack. It's good for you. And I have to, the, the flavors, here we go with the flavors. Cocoa, fruity, frosted, blueberry, cinnamon, and peanut butter. And Magic Spoon is bringing back two super popular flavors, cookies and cream and maple waffle. I love maple waffle. Be sure to get these. They're delicious and indulgent. Go to magicspoon.com slash dailybeans, grab your delicious cereal and try it today. Be sure to use promo code dailybeans, all one word at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. So there's no risk here. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash dailybeans. And then you have to use code DAILYBEANS, all one word, to save $5 off at checkout. And thanks to Magic Spoon for sponsoring the show. Today's show is also brought to you by BetterHelp, a premier provider of online therapy. BetterHelp counselors are available to provide professional guidance and help you navigate life's challenges. They'll assess your needs, and they'll match you with an experienced licensed professional within 24 hours. I've learned from my experience with PTSD, it's very important to seek help. And then it's because it's so hard to do alone. And I know it's hard to ask for help, but BetterHelp makes it easy and convenient. Uh, anytime from anywhere in the world, you can log onto your account and message your counselor. You'll receive timely and thoughtful responses, and you can schedule weekly phone or video meetings as well. And it's more affordable than offline traditional counseling and financial aids available. And you can always change your counselor. It's easy and free to do that, which is not the same for most healthcare providers. So visit BetterHelp's website. Read testimonials like this one by user KI, who says, Sage is incredibly kind and supportive no matter what's going on. I really feel like I have someone I can fully trust and also someone in my corner. I couldn't recommend her enough. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And you can join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Daily Beans listeners. You get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. Honored today to be joined by whistleblower in the first Trump impeachment and author of the book, Here, Right Matters, a very important book. Please welcome Colonel Alexander Vindman. Hi, how are you today? Hi, Allison. I'm doing I'm doing well. Thanks. <laughs> I, I, I sense a little pause there because of uh, all of the news surrounding your tweet that happened with regards to the news coming out about the new book Peril. So let me just kick this off with reading the tweet because I retweeted it, quote tweeted it, said I agreed with you on this. And there was considerable backlash, but also some support. But you tweeted out about General Milley calling his counterparts in China. You, t- you tweeted out, if this is true, 
General Milley must resign. He usurped civilian authority, broke chain of command, and violated the sacrosanct principle of civilian control over the military. It's an extremely dangerous precedent. You can't simply walk away from that. And then you hashtag do the right thing in the right way. Talk a little bit about your thoughts when you when you heard this reporting and, and why you tweeted this out. Sure. And actually, I just uh, tweeted something else out like within the past hour. Uh, it's too often leaders to come to situational ethics and we the people let them slide. Doing the right thing, even for the right reasons, must have consequences. Right still matters in America and actions must have consequences. Hashtag your right matters. So, you know, my original commentary was frankly less on the the China stuff because I don't think that's right. That doesn't sound right to me. It's, I, I've been party to these kinds of calls on multiple occasions. I mean, many times. And it just does not resonate with me that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs would in any way warn an adversary about a, a, an imminent attack. If anything, a more benign version is that this was just one of multiple calls that he was doing, you know, uh, taking the temperature of bilateral state of military relations. And, you know, in response to potentially the, the Chinese asking about what's going on in the United States, saying everything's fine. So I don't think this was a crisis. It's going to take a lot to convince me that there's a there there. But the reporting around the uh, nuclear command and control is part of a pattern now of reports. This one was in Bob Woodward's book. The previous one was in Carol Leonig's book. In, in January timeframe, there was reporting and, you know, Millie attested to the fact that he had a conversation with uh, Nancy Pelosi, in which he basically expressed deep concerns about what was going on, but seemingly sat on his hands during those moments. And now months later, out of crisis, it turns out that he was there, you know, prepared to step into the breach. I think it's a very interesting way to, to go about business when you actually could do, make a meaningful impact, take a meaningful stand that could have been before January 6th, certainly after January 6th. You notice that we didn't have any really major resignations. That's kind of shocking after something like that occurring. My concerns are about basically being unaccountable to anybody. So if he's basically working around around and runs around Secretary of Defense and runs around the administration, who is the senior military officer really accountable to when in fact his only role is to be an advisor to civilian leadership? And civilian oversight is, is really one of the things that distinguishes us from so many other militaries. You know, there, there is references to the uh, you know, German general staff and stuff like that, uh, that they, they accrue too much power. We, we don't have that kind of military. It's a dangerous precedent. And frankly, there were more courageous ways to, for, the, for the chairman to behave. And again, this is all reporting, but there's an important caveat here. But if it's true, it's deeply concerning. How many times are we going to hear these kinds of reports about now a very controversial chairman of the Joint Chiefs? You know, the preceding one, served for nearly two years and was uh, served for nearly two years without any controversy. This one has been at the center of multiple controversies dating back to relatively early days and, you know, parading through Lafayette Park. I think he's had, you know, one, two, three strikes. I hate to see the military politicized. It's now seen as a political instrument, part of the deep state. That's a very long-winded answer, but I think I covered all the bases there. Yeah, no, I think you did. And I want to talk about the, you know, what you said about there are more courageous ways to handle this, but it seems like the sticking point and the thing that everybody is dancing around, including all of the reporting and all of the pundits, 
is that he inserted himself into the chain of command for nuclear strike or lack of nuclear strike to stop a nuclear strike yep. when he didn't belong or wasn't supposed to be in that chain of command. You said, as you said, he's supposed to serve in an advisory role. The Pentagon came out today and refused to confirm the reporting in the book. But like you said, they did say, you know, Joint Chief, Chair Joint Chief calling other counterparts in the world very normal situation, but still refused to confirm the reporting. So I, I think here there's two things here. First of all, you said if this reporting is true, and I think that people are kind of glossing over that part of your tweet. But again, the Pentagon won't confirm that he inserted himself into the chain of command. And if he did, that is a United States military general circumventing civilian oversight of the military, which is a very bad precedent to set, like you said, because whenever these things happen, I always put the shoe on the other foot and think of what if we had a wily general joint chiefs circumventing a Joe Biden policy? Yeah, exactly right. That's situational. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is, is that, you know, we're hearing reports that he was on a lot of these calls during January 6th, where the National Guard was not approved to or delayed in, in being deployed. So why didn't he insert himself in that chain of command and get the National Guard out as soon as possible? It, it just seems like, I mean, because I, I hear where everybody's coming from. What could we have done differently in that situation? And you had said there are were more there would be more courageous ways to do this. What, what are the more courageous ways? Because I think the, the pushback here is what else should he have done? Sure. So I'll, I'll say a couple things. First of all, who more than the chairman of the Joint Chiefs should be accountable to the American people? to civilian control. Certainly lower down, there are folks that are accountable to other more senior officers in the chain of command. But the military, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs is accountable, not to anybody below him because he's a senior military officer, he's accountable to civilian oversight. So he more than anybody else should be sensitive to this issue. Again, regardless of whether it was, he did it for the right reasons. He did something, reportedly he did something very wrong and that you just can't walk away from that. Now, with regards to what he could have done differently, he could have basically put some skin in the game and said, this is during those moments where he thought that the president was unhinged. He was looking to lead an insurrection. He could have said, I'm resigning as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff based on these reasons. If we recall, only a couple of years before that, Secretary Mattis resigned in protest over the, the president's position and a hasty withdrawal from Syria. Yeah. What did that result in? That resulted in the president reversing course, changing President Trump's mind. Frankly, that is a pretty courageous and solid precedent to act on. Instead, he basically reportedly convened some officers, made some comments behind closed doors that amounted to nothing. No guard, no break was going on because obviously it didn't affect the, the president's calculus. The only thing that could have done that was basically put, putting the president on notice that he was resigning. And guess what? He was not the guard. He was not the only guardrail. There are a half, more than a half a dozen other chiefs of staff, each one of them as capable or more capable of stepping up to do the same job. Would it have taken the chairman? Would it have taken a couple of chiefs? Would it have taken all the chiefs resigning to frankly then maybe come up with a different alternative? to the second impeachment trial. Mm, right. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think somebody named John Gans quote tweeted you. John's a good friend of mine. And I think it's very important what he had to say. And I want to ask you about that. But I have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Sure. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's Allison for The Beans. On September 11th, 2001, 
60 amateur sailors were at sea filming a reality show on an 18th century replica ship. They were weeks from land and the nearest TV or radio. That morning, a single message came in through their one satellite phone. Four planes hijacked, two towers down, Pentagon attacked, thousands dead. And that was it. Not a single other piece of information for weeks. So what was it like to experience 9-11 in isolation like that? And how would they make sense of the radically different world they returned to? This is just one of those stories in 9-12, the new podcast series from Amazon Music and Pineapple Street Studios. In each episode of 9-12, host Dan Taberski tells the stories of characters whose lives would never be the same before and after September 11th. Through them, we begin to realize there are new lessons to be learned and that we just might have enough distance now from 9-11 to make sense of some things we couldn't understand before. I really recommend you check out 912. These are the inside stories. They're compelling and eye-opening. And if you're really interested in taking a deep dive to learn more about 9-11, you have to listen and subscribe to 912. Follow 912 wherever you get your podcasts, or you can binge all seven episodes right now on Amazon Music or with Wondery Plus. And today's show is also brought to you by Bowl and Branch. Okay, these are the most amazing sheets ever. And they start with the little things, the details, right? It's the little things that make life great and can help you leave a legacy. Whether you're kind to someone or you pay it forward or you pay someone a genuine compliment, those are the things that count. And it's so important. We all have uncompromising standards in, in these parts of our lives. So why skip out on quality where we spend a third of our lives, which is sleeping? This husband and wife team that started Bull and Branch realized no sheets on the market met their standards for quality. And I agreed with them. So they created their own super soft and expertly crafted signature sheets. And you will feel the difference in their best selling, beautifully crafted sheets. Uh, They're buttery soft, luxurious. They have an amazing drape and a silken texture. The cloud weight and super soft sateen weave gets softer with every wash. There are no middlemen between you and your bowl and branch sheets, so you get luxury quality for the fairest price. And they stand behind their products and honor a 30-night worry-free guarantee if you're unsatisfied for any reason. So to experience an entirely new standard of comfort with attention to detail, visit bowlandbranch.com. Get 15% off your first set of sheets with promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at bowlandbranch.com. That's B-O-L-L and branch.com and use promo code DAILYBEANS. All right, everybody, welcome back. We are talking with the author of Here, Right Matters, Colonel Vinman. And before the break, I had alluded to a quote tweet from John Gans, who you said is a friend of yours. And he said, you can break norms for a greater good, but that often comes with a price. Paying it is the only way to ensure the norms survive for the next time. I'm thinking immediately of who I think is a hero who who released the Pentagon Papers, for example, is still a violation of law and pay the price. And that ensures that the norms are in place for the next time. And so what could Millie do now to ensure that these norms and that precedent isn't set? You know, simply at this point, he is too controversial. He is distracting from the mission of a Department of Defense. He could speak his piece after he resigns. But I think at this point, you know, I don't know. I would like to see a little bit more before I say, take away my qualifier of if. But I mean, honestly, he needs to think about the the good of the institution at this point and seriously consider whether it's worth him staying in position or could somebody else do that job. And that would be a, a fairly courageous move to do for the good of the organization. You may recall that I submitted my retirement in part because the Department of Defense was holding up the promotion list. I thought it was better for the good of the organization to step aside and, you know, have some confidence in the fact that I could land on my feet. And I did that without the, the enormous safety net of Chairman Milley. Mm-hmm. 
And um, there's a, now a statement out from Milley's spokesperson who said he regularly spoke to his counterparts, and that's not unusual for generals to communicate with each other, but continue to say, and the meeting regarding nuclear weapons protocols was to remind uniformed leaders in the Pentagon of the long-established and robust procedures in light of media reporting on the subject, the media reporting probably being the, the Pelosi call. General Milley continues to act and advise within his authority in the lawful tradition of civilian control of the military and his oath to the Constitution. But it doesn't seem to me that he was reminding uniformed leaders of the Pentagon of a long established and robust procedure. It was he was seemed to be bucking it if the reporting is true. Well, you know, what's interesting about that statement, that official statement now, and I'm going to have to take a look at it, is that substantiates that such a meeting actually occurred. Mm-hmm. Now he's on the record or, or the Pentagon's on the record that such a meeting occurred. And he basically, you know, was trying to point out to the, the, the one stars the, that he has under his command. Not I mean, command is, 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 is not exactly the right word. But, you know, I, I actually worked in this enterprise. So I know I know how this operates firsthand. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was trying to re- remind those officers that he wanted to, to assert his authority to play a role in that. But in, in fact, the, the, the commander in chief, the way the system is designed, could act in absence of the chairman's presence. There's an advisory role in there, but it's, it's an advisory role as long as the pre- president is seeking the advice. If the president does not want to solicit that advice, he does not have to be there. And in this case, of course, the, 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 uh, Donald Trump is a catastrophe. Of course, we, we, we needed to, to, there was all sorts of extremists in terms of figuring out how to deal with the, the crises that he, he had introduced by his own hand. But again, that didn't have to be in the form of these kinds of actions uh, repeatedly inserting himself and undermining civilian control of the military. That could have been, if he had felt such a, uh, an extreme sense of danger for this country, he should have made his voice heard. Yeah, I think what the argument to counter that is, had he made his voice heard or resigned, he would have just been replaced by a Trump yes man, and we would all be in very big trouble. That's not the way. There's there's no way that it would work like that. There's just simply no way. I mean, the fact is that there are other there are other chiefs that are equally capable. If the president had att- attempted to put in some sort of flunky, first of all, we don't have those kinds of things in the in in the military. These are active duty general officers. If he attempted to insert somebody that was retired in that position, that would have ha- caused enormous chaos, enormous blowback. We know when he tried to remove Gina Haspel, that caused enormous blowback with regards to, to Congress itself. Even as as bad as some of these uh, Republicans were and in, in publicly kind of serving the president's interests, toadying to the president, you know, for their own purposes, they would not imperil their, their own lives by putting somebody that's, you know, that wouldn't wasn't qualified for that position. So I just believe there's a long tradition, and you know this because you served also, we train for fallout drills. If you go down, somebody else could step up. We don't have that kind of hubris about I alone, like Carol Leonig's book, that I'm the only guardrail. There's always somebody equally capable to step up. Mm. And I don't I don't believe that only Chairman Milley was capable of protecting this country. Otherwise, we are in enormous peril that it takes a single individual in an institution to hold back the floodwaters. Yeah, agreed. All right. Well, I appreciate your time today. I appreciate answering these questions. I know 
your tweets come under considerable scrutiny. And I'm with you on this. I agree on this, particularly, again, when I think about it in the reverse order, if the shoe was on the other foot, if we had General Milley going around Biden who wanted to during the Afghanistan withdrawal or or, or something like that. I think mm-hmm. those things need to be considered. I always try to consider take the politics out of it and make it apolitical. Right. So I appreciate your time today. Everybody, please pick up the book here. Right Matters. You can follow him on Twitter at A. Vindman. And uh, thank you so much for explaining this to me today. Thank you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. It's A.G. for The Daily Beans. And today's episode is brought to you by Upstart. Being in debt, especially high interest debt and credit card debt, can feel so frustrating and insurmountable. But there's a way out. You can get back on track and pay off your debt quickly with Upstart's online personal loan service. Over half a million people have used Upstart to consolidate debt, pay off credit cards or fund personal expenses with simple fixed payments. Other lenders look at your credit score only, but Upstart looks at other things, too. They know you're more than just a number. They look at your income and your employment history, which means they can offer better rates and smarter rates with their trusted partners. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate up front for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. Upon approval of your loan, the funds can be available as quickly as one business day. Lots of friends in the past year, I know, have been living on, on their credit cards after losing their jobs or, you know, because of lockdown and COVID. And it's you pay, make those minimum payments and the principal doesn't change. You're just paying interest. And that's where Upstart can help. And it, it, making that final payment is just such a relief. So find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments. Go to upstart.com slash daily beans. That's upstart.com slash daily beans. Please use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and certain other information provided in your loan application. That's upstart.com slash daily beans. And today's show is also brought to you by American Giant, my new favorite clothing company. They care about the planet. They care about quality. They, you know, all this mass produced clothing, it it wears out so fast and it ends up in landfills. It's unsustainable. And I'm a proponent of thinking globally and acting locally. And to me, you get the best quality locally, like farm to table restaurants, right? They give you a unique experience while supporting communities in the process. American Giant is the epitome of acting locally. They go beyond made in America and forge lasting relationships with local manufacturers, workers and communities to obsess over every single detail of their clothing at every step of production. That's how they made their flagship signature classic full zip hoodie, which is my favorite hoodie of all time. It went on to be called the greatest hoodie ever made. And their product line has grown well beyond that first best-selling hoodie. Their core commitment to revolutionizing your everyday wardrobe has not changed. The quality is amazing at American Giant. Their clothes are durable, meant to last, so they don't end up in landfills. And the fabric is soft and comfortable, and they look good. Their locally made clothing is not only beautiful, it's better for both the wearer, the people, the communities, the workers, and the planet. So explore American Giant's collection of durable essentials at American-Giant.com. You will get 20% off your first order when you use Daily Beans, all one word, at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com, promo code Daily Beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. All right, so if you have good news, confessions, you know what? Anything you want to send us, just send us <laughs> dailybeanspot.com. <laughs> Please do. And click on contact. This is my favorite part of the show. Unless, you know, unless somebody gets indicted in Trump world, then that probably usurps this. But <laughs> it hasn't happened recently. And I'm still waiting for that Matt Gates and that Rudy Giuliani. I'm still waiting for those indictments to drop. Maybe a Tom Barrick plea agreement, something, anything. But everything just sort of on the, in a holding pattern right now. As we know, the wheels of justice grind slow, but the wheels of good news grind fast and easy. So here we are. I'm going to take the first two. Go for it. If that's okay, because the first one's very short. It's from Terry, pronouns she and her. Just a quick correction to let you know 
The pronunciation of the Greek island is Samos. Dana pronounced it Samos. And yes, the plane crash is sketch. Well, thank you, Terry. Yep, file that under sketch, and thank you for the correction. And uh, from Allison, pronouns she and her, this past weekend I was able to reconnect with my eighth grade U.S. history teacher. For context, she taught me during the 2001-2002 school year, and U.S. history class was first period for me. On 9-11, she had the TV on, and as a result, the entire class saw the second plane hit live. When our principal came over the live speaker to tell the teachers to turn the TVs off, She only did so long enough to shut the classroom door and tell us this is United States history class and U.S. history is happening right now. (laughs) Her powerful words and the decision that day have stuck with me these past two decades. And while I have bumped into her over the years out and about, it meant so much to me getting to tell her what she had done for me and the lesson I had taken from her actions. Mrs. Everett was and still is an amazing and loving woman. And I wish everyone could have been as lucky as me to be taught by her. I love that. I loved my U.S. history teacher. Mine too. Absolutely loved her. Huh. Um, what's really amazing, my the U.S. history teacher I had, she taught all three of us. So my older sister, my older brother, and myself, we all had the same. Um, her name was Miss Furstenberg, and she was brilliant. And then when I got older, I got my teaching degree, and Miss Furstenberg had adopted a, a young girl from China, and I got to teach her kid when I did my student teaching, which is just a crazy full circle story. Oh, yeah, that's Isn't awesome. That great? Yeah, my U.S. history teacher was great. Her name was Ms. Aarons. Ms. Aarons, she was very insistent. And she would teach us history, but then she would provide this context. She would say, all right, so yeah, this is what was happening during, you know, uh, when Lincoln was assassinated. But did you know what was going on in London at the time or what Beethoven was doing or what was happening in Australia? Or, <laughs> and she would just kind of curate history for us and put it in this kind of a bigger context instead of just individual events happening in linear time and space. And I thought that that... That sounds lovely. I think I, I think I had a, a lot to do with shaping the way that I kind of try to bring the news to people is like, what else is happening? And, and totally. How does this relate to the past, you know, four years, 40 years, 100 years? So thanks to history teachers everywhere and all teachers everywhere. Yes, indeed. This next one's from Joe, pronounce he, him. This is a confession. Ooh, we haven't had these in a while. Hello, Beans Queens. I've been a listener to MSW since the kitchen table days when I was looking for a way to read the Mueller report while on the road for work. I haven't missed an episode since, but I digress. It has been over one year since my last confession. Good news. That sounded very much like confession in church. Here in my particular state of Pennsylvania, we finally have a state mask mandate for schools that was enacted two weeks into the school year. Too late, in my opinion, as we now have higher cases than any point from the last school year. In my particular school district, we now have a very small yet very vocal group of anti-masking parents who have shut down a school board meeting, protested at a PTO meeting, and caused other issues in the community. They've even organized a motorcycle drive-by through the car rider drop-off line with the help of a local, quote, Freedom Biker Church, and are also reporting teachers and administrators to child abuse hotlines. What the fuck? We are not the only school district in the area with these issues. Needless to say, everyone is on edge and extra resources are needed at every event. For example, police, extra teachers, administrators, you get any students who show up to school unmasked are offered a mask. And if they refuse, are quarantined away from everyone to be picked up by parents or stay quarantined all day to learn remotely. Now, as of today, the school district is automatically enrolling these students in cyber school. Even though parents were informed this would happen, you can imagine how they're taking it. The good news there is has been a strong showing of support from parents in the community for the teachers who are dealing with this mess. Okay, so on to my confession. 
A sign which reads, quote, stop kids masking, appeared zip-tied to a street sign near my home this morning. Within an hour, I was back with my wire cutters, and now I have a souvenir of these crazy times we're living through. It's a small, passive-aggressive thing I can do, but it felt like a big thing today. And it's appropriate that the mascot they chose is Dopey, one of the seven dwarves. <laughs> it's fucking Dopey. Stop masking kids. Of course, he doesn't talk. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah, that's an interesting, that's going to be an interesting piece of history, right? Totally. A sign like that. Wow. Well, good job. High five. And bless these teachers, man. All this shit that they have to do. They have to... Teachers and flight attendants, they all need raises. This is just bullshit. 100%. Next up from Tim, pronouns he and him. Hi, I'm listening since the kitchen days. I have a combo good news and a spot the cat. This past winter, my partner Joanne's brother passed away unexpectedly. This is, of course, bad news. Joanne grabbed his cat before the police took him to the pound. No one would take him, so we did. This big bastard is hilarious. <laughs> after, <laughs> after a very shy month of transition, he finally came out of his shell, and he does the funniest shit. He's very warm and loving with humans, but he has issues with other animals. Last week, while enjoying my usual 4.30 a.m. stoner speedball, coffee and weed, I heard a commotion in the yard. I peeked my head out to find Sam Louie, the cat, or Sam Lewis, I don't know if it's Louie or Lewis, Sam Louie the cat, facing off with a deer. <laughs> oh my the God. deer was attempting to eat some of our hostas, and Sam Louie was not having it. He kept yelling at the deer and launching at it, higher than a tree frog. Could not believe what I was seeing. It was amazing. The deer bailed, and the hostas are untouched. Attaches a picture. Can you find him? <laughs> okay, first of all, this first picture, that cat is fucking huge. <laughs> mighty boy <laughs> my goodness i just love that this this is hysterical that this person literally was like it's a find the cat picture it's a hard time fi we're actually having a hard time finding the person in the picture because the cat is so big <laughs> that was just, awesome and he's just like his face he's like mm. completely splayed out <laughs> oh my god all right thank you so much for that this is from anonymous pronouns he and him not good news, not a confession, more like screaming obscenities into the ether. You were talking about new verses for Hallelujah, and I wrote one. You heard vaccine, but you needed proof. When Fox went to Fox to get the truth, and you don't need no Fauci, do ya? So that's the first one. That's basically it. Now you lose, oh, now you lose your smell and gain a cough. Your O2 levels in the trough. Now, dying patient begging hallelujah. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Very good. Very hallelujah. Good. I know I did a keychain. Look, this is why I do radio. Okay. Uh, thank you so much <laughs> There's for like that. nine key changes in that song. No, I guess yeah. not. I guess they're right. Yeah. I, I really actually do love these, these verses. Thank you for sending them in. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Yeah, maybe we'll put them all together one day. Oh my God, we'll do it and we'll record in the studio, like with the whole, like, we are the world, world headphones aid. with a, <laughs> yep, we'll do a live aid with, yep, all the verses you wrote to Hallelujah. All the money we can spend on clearing. We're going to release it and yeah. <laughs> donate all of the money to whoever needs it most. Yep. yep. All right. Finally, from Daddy Bear pronouns, he, they, my dear hubby, an immigrant from China, Get some of his news from, you guessed it, Steve Bannon-funded crap news sites. So when the vax became available, he was reluctant. I'd kept my mouth shut mostly about my feelings about the former guy for four years. He was not a fan, actually, but I felt like Biden 
was in China's pocket and the former guy wasn't. That's what a shared enemies sort of thing. Plus, a lack of decent Mandarin language news sites is a problem. Major stress. Then came my late summer plans to visit my mom to celebrate her 90th in New Mexico, a long road trip away from our home in COVID ridden South Carolina. Oh, wow. I had planned on driving my beater truck with its comfy, not comfy camper shell and hoping it would die so I could pick up a rust-free used camionetta in the dry, rust-free Mountain West. I know that. I know that. I'll take Miss Ginger Pine, the good dogger. No unvaxxed humans will be welcome on this trip, I told him. Finally, out of the blue one evening, he says he wants to go. Not without the vax, says I, and you know what a slut I can be when out of town. (laughs) 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 Oh, that's good. A few days went by. He was mulling. I kept quiet. Finally, he asked if I knew where he could get the one and done. Yes. Now, not only did he get the jab, but he actually enjoyed truck camping along the way. Turns out he was worried about wolves. (laughs) Like many small town Chinese folks, foxes. Good dogger Ginger Pine, Southern girls must have two names, stayed home with bad boy Billy, her adopted brother, our nearly grown daughter, providing dog walking and enjoying freedom from parental oversight. We had a blast. And though the old truck provided roadside adventures on Route 66, dying twice as predicted, we scored a new-to-us ride in Albuquerque, rust-free. Patience and the promise of a little camping romance won the day. (laughs) Thanks to the Daily Beans crew for bringing smiles and hope. Look at the puppy. What a great story. I always love, too, hearing about my hometown, good people in New Mexico and Albuquerque. Yeah, and rust-free cars. Yep, rust-free cars. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Daddy Bear. Mm, so great and these puppers <laughs> look at the look look at what you give me a heck and, this give me a heck and bark out of my face i want to meet daddy bear and his hubby because I, I bet they're really fun yeah sounds like it awesome thank you so much for all these submissions everyone i appreciate it we definitely need the good news so keep them rolling in anything you want to send us you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact any final thoughts before we get out of here today, Dana? I don't think I have any. I just want to wish everyone a good weekend. Um, I will be doing the the next uh, book club, as you know, and we'll have that for you. So you'll hear me on Sunday, but I'll be back in your ears Monday morning. Awesome. And until then, everybody, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill. And I've been Dana Goldberg. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.